Welcome back. Welcome in Country Rose Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. And oh, Chris Anderson, I almost dropped my pen. And if I did, nobody in Morgantown would have been able to pick it up <laughs> before somebody in Stillwater swooped in and took it. Everything that really could have gone wrong for West Virginia, by and large, did not nearly enough things went right. I'll say this, and I've already kind of written the script for the post that we're going to throw up here that um, will accompany the podcast. So this is kind of repetitive, but I think it bears mentioning. A lot of times after a game, and especially a loss, and more so a loss like this where the outcome could very easily have been different. This is a 27-13 final score in Oklahoma. Oklahoma State wins and does just enough. And it's closer than that because this late touchdown is kind of meaningless. They're going to win that game no matter what. Um, but a lot of people look for you or me to exercise some of their angst. And every now and then, you or I will do something. And I'll call a flea flicker inside the 20, the dumbest play I've ever seen. And then the coach blows me up in a press conference a day later. And we all have a good time. We do this again every Saturday. There's nothing you and I are going to say that's going to be more succinct, more accurate, more appropriate than what Neil Brown said in his post game. No, uh, as the game goes on, every time that we're doing this and we're getting ready to do our po- post game podcast, I, I I'm I know you do the same thing. You mark plays, you make notes. I, I I take note of things going on, things I want to talk about, specific plays that just stick in my my mind, and I want to discuss. Um, a lot of that it comes out. Um, uh, kind of spontaneously as I tweet it as it's, it's happening during the game. So a lot of you see it as it's coming, but um, Neil Brown hit it head on right after the game, just right into it, dove right into it, discussed everything that I had written down, talked about uh, just the complete and total lack of gap integrity on uh, the defensive side of the ball, the lack of pass protection on offense and some little happy feet from Jarrett Dagey and some bad throws and inside receivers did better than outside receivers. And it just, everything was right on it. It's, it's very rare for that to happen. I want to begin with this. And this is what he says. Someone he mentioned, I believe voluntarily at the end that somebody had asked him during the week, if this was a measuring stick game. And he said, yes, Tuesday, I was kind of brought him arching my brow there. Cause I kind of thought, you know, that's not him. He's not that aggressive. This is still year two, but I think he knew he had a team that could go in there and win. And he did. I'll say that. They didn't win, but he had a team that could have gone in there and win. But um, he says this. uh, We didn't pass the test. A lot of that has to do with Oklahoma State. They've been winning games for a long time. They understand how to win close games. They understand how to make routine plays and not beat themselves. We're not at that point right now, and that's the rude awakening in this game. We're not at that point. That is the game in a nutshell. Um, More so on the final drive of the game, it's 20-13, to and... Oklahoma State had, I believe, no first downs in the second half, and they racked up six on that drive, which is phenomenal when you, when you figure out like, it's winning time and you got to go and you do it. But the final drive was, I don't want to say a masterpiece, but it was certainly what the, the moment called for. But even then, West Virginia helped out a bunch. And if you just make a stop, if you don't commit a penalty, if you get off the field, there's a way to to do something and get the ball back and make this exciting at the finish. But we're talking about, a let's see here. Um, I don't have the drive summary here, but we're talking about one first down, two first down, three, four, five, six first downs, four third down conversions. Yeah, four for uh, four. Uh, a penalty on a pass interference. Um, uh, it looked like a coverage bust where Tylen Wallace gets open. Um, they they turn a third and four into a third and nine because they fall start. 
and LD Brown rushes for 18 yards. Um, they snap it over the quarterback's head, I believe. And again, the ball's in the ground and West Virginia doesn't get to it. It's second and 21. Hey, maybe the guy misses a 40 yard field goal. Maybe you get a pick or a fumble because that's been happening. Instead, there's a 21 yard touchdown in the next play. And that to me was, again, Brown's words are the game in a nutshell. That drive itself was what he said in a nutshell. They knew how to make plays. They knew how not to beat themselves, even when they tried to. And West Virginia either couldn't oblige or couldn't get out of their own way. In a nutshell, it's great because it brings up one of the points, one of the first things that comes to my mind when I think of this game. And it was the the gap integrity on defense. It was the very first run on that one play you talked about, the LD Brown uh, draw up the middle on third and nine, where they ran a draw play. And I, I tweeted it. And I said, what? West Virginia just sent a double blitz to the outside, to the C gap, out uh, to the off the right tackle, and left the middle wide open on an extremely obvious draw play, like a, up the middle run. Like that's that's everybody's favorite play when you're trying to be safe on third and long is a draw play, a delayed draw up the middle. And West Virginia double blitzed outside, which the call doesn't make sense. And I know a lot of people, are, that's going to be a touchy subject with the whole defensive coordinator ordeal in this offseason. But I, there's no way that was a play call. There, there's not a chance. Um, and and Brown kind of touched on it when he said, you know, that was it, misfits is what he called it. Misfits. Like, but it was just gap integrity. Wrong play, wrong miscommunication, uh, whether that's miscommunication between the players or the player and the coach or whatever it is. But Jared Bartlett, I believe, on that that play in particular, had no business going outside. None. Zero. He should have been, if he was blitzing, he should have been coming right up the middle and he would have ran right into that running back, stuffed him for a loss. Um, and that goes back to the first touchdown for Oklahoma State. Uh, it was, I don't remember what the down and distance was, but it was Vandarius Cowan on the other side and he kind of dove in and then into the gap between the guard and tackle. And like I said, I, I tweeted, I said he literally bunny hopped before he ever got touched back outside. I didn't understand it. Like he went in, side hopped to the right, went to the outside, and then just got pushed out to the outside. And they ran right in that gap that he was originally in for a 51 tar- yard touchdown untouched. Yeah. He's got to, he's got to stick that in the A gap and bounce it outside. And they say you got to pick a gap. Mr. Cowan disagrees. <laughs> like, that was. I have never seen anything like that before. I mean, I've seen guys go in the wrong gaps. I've seen guys, you know, shoot shoot a gap, and it just so happens the play goes the other way. But I've never seen a guy willingly jump into two different gaps and kind of dance around like that. And it just and it costs WVU in, in a big way. Let's um let's go over some things that don't make sense. Um, two touchdown spread. I don't think you watched that game and thought that was a two touchdown spread. Uh, but this is where it gets crazy. Oklahoma State does start a true freshman quarterback who threw the ball 21 times, threw it to the other team once, and played very, very careful. Mike Gundy was as conservative as an OAN t-shirt. You look at other things that happened during the game, uh, 12 penalties for 106 yards. Um, Six for 17 on third down isn't bad, but like in bad situations a lot. I can get to that in a minute. But they ran 79 plays, 16 more in a hot day. They average a yard less per play. Um, Sacked five times. Um, had chances, got into the red zone twice, kicked two field goals, kept Oklahoma State out of the red zone until, frankly, a meaningless possession late in the game. And even that didn't really stay in the red zone and went right out after the first snap in the red zone. So 
again, if you look at a script of things, force three fumbles, or I guess two, I guess, but a bad snap and then a kickoff botch, four balls in the ground, you figure you're going to get one, maybe two. You get extra possessions, you do something with it. Um, but I would think there's maybe one impactful play that West Virginia made in the game to Tony Fields' interception, um, but also the Winston Wright 70-yard touchdown, which was just beat man-to-man, and they did it that one time. Otherwise, miserable on the outside. I don't think they connected a 20-yard pass play during the game. Uh, a pass for the ball traveled 20 yards. They said they had to do that. They didn't. Um, th- they really got out-matured is probably a good word by NFL players in the secondary. Um, things that they wanted to do, Oklahoma State said, too bad. Uh, find another way, and they didn't. What's probably upsetting is they outgained him in yardage. Again, more plays, had more possession, and played even with the number 15 team in the country for a lot of the game, but gave him a touchdown, maybe gave him 10 points with a um, kind of a botched offensive sequence at the end of the first half. You want to end the first half of the ball. Didn't give them an extra possession. Um, just created too much of a margin where it didn't have to exist. I'm still maybe by the time we get this this podcast up, maybe I'll have an answer. But I am currently still trying to find the last time this happened. Um, one, you mentioned it. One trip to the red zone for Oklahoma State. Uh, the last time that West Virginia allowed a te- or kept a team to one or fewer red zone trips and lost, we're going back at least twenty years already. Sure. Uh, I've gone through the Richrod area and still have not found it. Um, so we're getting back to Neyland now. Before I, I come up with this, I'm having to go game by game now, and I still haven't found it. I'm not sure I ever will. That's such a ridiculous stat. And like you said, it got in the red zone and it was right back out. Um, but that kind of just feeds into the nature of this quirky game of of just a couple big plays. Because uh, if, if you think of the, the big plays that West Virginia had, I think like some of them were West Virginia players just simply beating – Oklahoma State, like you said, the Winston Wright one. And then some of the big things for, although hey, to their credit, they Oklahoma State made that play on that strip mm-hmm. sack against Daggy. I'm not taking that one away. The run by LD Brown, damn, he's fast. And yeah. I still can't believe he stayed at Oklahoma State because he should be a starter somewhere. Um, uh, he'll probably be in the NFL, even though he's been a backup behind Hubbard all this time. But again, that was the gap integrity issue with Cowan that we were talking about. And, and, and West Virginia made some big plays, but just as Neil Brown said after the game, again, he's he he really hit the nail on the head with his post game comments. They Oklahoma State just stacked routine. Uh, he didn't say boring, but it was just like uh, there's nothing that excited me about what Oklahoma State did offensively today at all. It was very I'm routine. A, I'm I'm not sending Mike Gundy Christmas cards. I don't think that's probably a secret. Um, he's he's won two games. Um, with 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 worse hands, maybe when you think about it, uh, I thought Tulsa maybe isn't as good as Oklahoma state. I don't think Tulsa is as good as West Virginia, but chaos on offense and found a way to get 13 points out of three possessions with his backup quarterback won the game. Um, and then today I just, again, played smart and found a way to not endanger his offense and trust his defense. And it worked. Um, I don't know where to begin on this, but like, I just, I just want to point one thing out. I'm sure you have stats. You want to do it, but it was apparent to me that West Virginia wanted to take shots early, wanted to go outside to Sam James, go outside to Bryce Ford Wheaton. And then we saw this a few times last year. And I think it's going to be an emphasis here because it looks like Winston Wright can play. He can run. Why not do it? They run slot fades, kind of corner posts um, out of the slot. 
when you get zeroed up, and they tried that, and it didn't work, it didn't work, and it didn't work. The pass rush was getting home, and West Virginia's offensive line was having a hard time. It's even against just organic three-man pressure, not really doctoring things up. But when they brought four or five people and had five people outside against five receivers or had maybe just one safety, West Virginia took shots. West Virginia is not going to beat you in third and long situations there, which means you're going to have to make it work on first and or second down to have third and comparable or just avoid third down. Um, West Virginia threw the ball or called pass plays, I should say, 17 times on first down. Jared Dagey threw the ball. Do you want to guess how many times? 37. Oh, yeah. So 37 pass plays, 17 of them were on first down, uh, only completed eight, sacked twice. One's kind of a scramble sack, one's a sack, eight completions, um, I think 65 yards. Not good. And what does that do? That sets you up with these second downs. Second, 9, 8, 8, 6, 7, 13, 10, 15, 13, 11, 10, 6, 5, 6, 10, 1, 6, 10, 10, 7, 15, 10, 6, 10, 15. You're averaging 8.6 yards, basically 9 on every second down. That's, that's an awful recipe, and they could not find their way out of that situation. No, and a lot of the issues that they had in the passing game were pretty obvious things we discussed before uh, before the game. Remember, we said you're not going to be able to hit Sam James against Rodarius Williams. That's not a matchup that favors West Virginia. As good as Sam James is, it's not great and especially not deep. And he's already shut down Sam James before. And James ended up with five catches for 32 yards, mm-hmm. an average of six. That that's That's not it. Now, I picked Bryce Ford Wheaton as the guy on the opposite side of the field that would kind of take over, and Neil Brown talked about it after the game. Wheaton was open, and Dagey just didn't get in the ball. Ford getting open, beating his man, and the ball was just not going there. And, and then the one play where he almost caught it inside the five where they called the pass interference, that kind of just bounced off his chest and head as he went to the ground. But, yeah, like you said, Winston Wright, T.J. Simmons – like the slot, the slot took over because the the deep pass to Sam James against Rodarius Williams was not there, and it never was. It was never going to be. And do you remember what we nitpicked? I know it's been two weeks, but do you remember the one thing we kind of nitpicked about this offense against Eastern Kentucky? And I said it. I know we're it's fifty some points, and everybody's out at halftime. But there's one nitpick ahead. Do you remember air balls by air balls by Daggy too lofty it, on his passes. Yeah, the the Daggy deep balls they just weren't there. The timing was off, or his balls had too much air. Something was off about him, and that continued today. That's not that's not a good sign. It it that's two games in a row, uh, and and I've yet to see. I, I don't even think he connect. Did he connect on any deep passes? I have him zero for eight on throws okay. on the, uh, throws that went twenty and more in the air. That's I was going to say that's I, a lot. I don't, I don't remember him completing a single one, and I'm not sure any of them were really like good throws that just made you know a good play by the defense or a drop or something. It was a lot of um, lofty air balls that just floated in the air. Some that were too long, some that were too short. Um, deep ball, not his game right now. Here's how small the margin of error is for this game. Again, West Virginia, two red zone possessions, and I'll bring out my nit to pick here in a second, but two red zone possessions, two field goals. Um, boy, you get a touchdown out of one of them. Maybe it's different. Touchdown out of both, it's very different. But um, second and 10 play, again, 10 yards. What do you know? Daigie hits Simmons, and Simmons has it cleanly, and he's got a step, and 
just slightly bobbles and he's got to reach. And when you reach with your hands, you reach through your feet and you lose your stride and you lose your balance. And he was close to breaking through Christian Holmes, I believe tracks him down. Um, you set it up. It's first and 10, first and goal to eight. Uh, Brown rushes once Brown rushes twice. They run kind of a, again, kind of a post corner with the slot to Reese Smith and timing isn't there. Space isn't right. Field goal. Go to the fourth quarter. Um, the ultimate possession for West Virginia. They get down inside the 20. They go on a, I don't know if it's a fade, but they certainly go to a, a corner-ish route, goal line area, end zone to Ford Wheaton. Can't get it. He catches it, but it's just a little left. He can't tap his toes. It's close. Inexplicably, a delay a game. I have no idea what happened there, but you can't have that. And then now you're in not second and 10. Again, long second down. Now you're in second and 15. Again, 11-yard pass. Incomplete to James on a play that he had just hit for 14 yards. you got to bring the field goal team on again. Um, a, a, a size or two lower on Wheaton's shoe, maybe. Six inches inside instead of outside, maybe. And then Simmons, if he catches it in stride, he might step through a tackle because he probably keeps his legs going and he breaks through. Who knows? You get one or two of those touchdowns. Certainly, if you get the first touchdown, the second possession is different. Um, but, boy, close. But, again, as Brown said, not good enough. Do we want to jump into the offensive line now? Let's go to the red zone really quick. Okay. Did you like their plan? No. I thought they were running in the middle of the field stuff in the red zone. And it worked to get in there. Don't get me wrong. But I watched them play Eastern Kentucky. Absolutely not a fair comparison. I get this. But they played tight. And they used the space on the edges to get open in the space. And throw swing passes or let guys run routes inside or outside. And it worked. I didn't see any of that. I don't think I saw one tight formation. The only event was even close to a tight was uh, that post pattern post to the corner by uh, Reese Smith that we just mentioned. Everything else was spread out. Even that play was kind of spread out. I, I just didn't see anything there. And Oklahoma State's defense too good, too fast, especially in the secondary, to let them roam the whole field. You're not going to outrun them. You're not going to outroute them. Uh, you're going to have to make really good throws and catches. They couldn't do it. I can't disagree with any of it because I think once you get into that into the red zone, obviously the area with which you can work over the middle is going to be shrunk because those safeties are not going to be playing 20, 30 yards back. Now they're only playing 5, 10 yards back. They're going to be right in that middle where you're trying to hit those slants, and that's not going to work. So like you said, you have to start going outside. That's why you see so many plays in the red zone so many times, guys diving for that pylon because they're – they're yep. going to the outside. That's where the space is. Once you get tight in the red zone, the space is towards the corners, and you got to get out wide and, and try to use your speed to get to the corner. Let's do offensive line. Um, I'm sure play call has helped in the first half. I think they got better about it in the second half. We saw fewer, fewer deep passes. We also saw a much shorter rotation until the very last drive, and they had some guys in. But um, some changes, some, some differences that we expected with regard to the starting lineup, and then some ones that we were curious about, that maybe were necessity, maybe it was a plan, but we saw a new center-ish, I guess, um, because the old center was playing guard. We saw some movement at tackle. Um, I'm not sure what worked, what didn't work. But it's an evolution for this offensive line that I, I don't think they have five right now that they know what to do with. Bold statement, but I would not be surprised if they have five different people against Baylor. No, it's very strange to me. I've never – I was okay with the discussion about – you know, rotating guys at guard, at tackle. Um, but the rotation at center, I, you know, that that 
that raises a stink with me because it, it's just that doesn't work. You got to get the the vibe down with your quarterback. You got to call out blocking assignments. Uh, you got to mesh with the rest of the offensive line, and they rotated that pretty quick. I mean, Chase Barrett was out of there. I think by the the third drive at the latest, um, he was he was gone, and Zach Frazier was in his center. And I'm not sure. I'll be I'll be blunt. I'm not sure what the right answer is, and maybe that's what they're trying to figure out. Although I'd argue maybe your Big Twelve opener is not when you want to hold auditions for who's going to be your offensive line, because because Barrett got beat badly. Uh, in the first couple drives a couple times. And then Frazier came in. I'm not sure he got beat as badly blocking, but then he did a poor job of snapping, which Mm -hmm. threw off the timing with several of these plays, especially when you're trying to make these quick passes on that play where uh, Diggy got strip sacked and it ran run back for a touchdown. That was a low snap by Frazier. I mean, that's not why he got strip sacked. He got strip sacked because of other issues we're going to talk about in a second, but it was... A low snap was the first step of just a domino effect of, of just issues with that one play, which is why it turned into a touchdown return. But I'm not sure what the answer is there, but I don't I, – I am pretty positive it's not rotating centers around. I, I've never liked that, and I certainly don't like it right now. I want to see the PFF grades because I'm curious how it goes. I, I thought John Hughes was fine. I don't Same. know who their left tackle is. I, I know who it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be Junior Yusebu. It might be Brandon Yates. I'm not sure, but – uh, I don't want to put too much of the strip sack on Yuzebu. Trace Ford's really good. Um, yeah. Just a sophomore. And they bounce him around. And, and I don't know if he caught him off guard, but it's it's like change-ups. If you see one guy who's one size and one speed, and all of a sudden you got a guy who's you know perhaps an All-American before too long coming at you the next snap. It, it can be hard. Um, again, bad snap. It throws off the timing for Daigie. You know you're going to get pressure third and 15. you got to get rid of the ball. I'm not sure it's on anybody in particular there. It's a confluence of factors, so that hurts. But Yates looked like he was okay out there. Um, I think that's going to be something they look at. I don't think they have other players who can solve that problem. It's got to be those two. Uh, Gamitter's fine. Center, don't know. And we saw Barron bounce out to right guard. Um, I'd be curious to see how Mike Brown grades out by the coaches or, or pro football focus. We'll see. But um, still ran the ball okay. And I was intrigued early on. TJ Banks was in. No Jackson Knipper. I don't think at all. Um, but they ran the same plays. They had Banks in. He did really well. Uh, Michael Lachlan, okay to me. I don't think either one of them got targeted in the passing game. They're pretty much a sixth offensive lineman, a third tackle, if you will. We're in the split zones up, did okay, but I don't know if the continuity was there or if they tired and what they say was a hot day, but we're not effective running the ball in the second half. All right, so I got I, I got three different tangents I want to go on, so let's, let's mm. pick one. Tell me left, center, or right. Which way you want me to go, Mike? Oh, center. All right, center. We'll go center right at the center. We'll start with Mike Brown. Is Mike Brown your starter for the rest of the year? Is he a quality power five starter? And I ask you this because we seem to only hear good things about him from the coaching staff, both last year and this year. But we've also seen him taken out of games, out of shape for games. He's gotten hurt as well. Um, Hmm. Are we sure... He is, you know, a quality power five starter. Or do you, as you noted, Chase Barrett kind of swapped over there and, and took some stats from him. Was that just to give him some rest? Or do you think that's a real possibility that he might end up being, say, the sixth lineman? If nah, I, don't, I don't think you want to move your center unless you think I'm moving your center. Okay. So Frazier might be your center and Barrett might be your right guard. It's at least an idea. I'll say this, too. Um, 
and I mentioned this on our board, and it's just like a, one of those philosophies I have. There's a big difference between who coaches talk about and who coaches are asked about. And when you're watching these videos or you're listening to these radio shows, when a coach brings up somebody, it's much more likely earned, deserved, authentic than when someone asks a question and a coach says something nice about that person. Um, Mike Brown's a great story, a great guy, and people like to ask about him and talk about him. And that leads to a lot of flowery answers about what a great story it is, um, how much better he is, so on and so forth. That does not mean he's a great player. It does not mean those things aren't true, but understand where they're coming from, too. Um, and this happens with a lot of people, too. Um, there's a lot of examples across the roster. I'm not going to go down and dot them all because I feel bad about what I just did to Mike Brown. But don't let words fool you sometimes. Use your eyes. And when you see the center move to right guard and you know that they really like Zach Frazier because they say it. They're not asked about him. They say it. That's a true freshman playing center. And he's not that experienced playing center. He played mostly guard in high school. Something's afoot there. So now you may have a new center and you may have a new right guard. I think that's something to be thinking about. Um, I think Brown's a guard ultimately. I don't think he can play tackle. I don't think he can snap it. Um, but is he the sixth or seventh guy in the future? Um, sure. And again, Bryson Mays, a guy who's been talked about a lot, who hasn't been asked about because he was not in the Barrett Frazier conversation. Where's he been? He's not been a third tackle. He played late in the game today. Correct me if I'm wrong. I did not see him. Certainly didn't notice him um, in the in the formative action of the game. Okay, so that leaves me with my left and right tangent. Which way do you want me to go now? Oh, let's let's be like Shane Inlingworth and go right. <laughs> okay. Um, I think I don't know if this is so much a question, just a comment here, but and maybe it's pretty obvious, but it seemed to me that that Daggy got rattled by that, especially that early strip sack, a couple of those early hits, because a couple of things late, and Neil Brown, just like you were uh, a minute ago, very hesitant to pin a lot of the blame on the offensive line and specific on any specific players as well on the offensive line. But because he said he wanted to go back and watch the film, but there were a couple times where, yeah, the pass rushers kind of got up field, but the tackles did an okay job kind of letting them go up field, creating that natural pocket where the center is, is fighting the nose guard up front and the two edge rushers are deep and you should have a nice big U shape basically for the quarterback to step up into and that happened a couple times, especially in the second half, and Daigie just panicked. It seemed like it just kind of stepped up into it and was ready to run but had nowhere to run, and all he had to do was kind of just step up and throw it. Did did you sense that? Did you see anything that maybe his game – because I felt like last year that was his pocket presence and his ability to extend the run was, was a couple of the things that we really liked about his play that didn't show up in the box score. Yeah, you know, they moved him out a bunch in that first game. They rolled him to the left, which is always a strange thing for a right-handed quarterback. I don't think I saw any of that design stuff today, and I was wondering if they would do that because, again, it looked like the tackles were holding up okay, at least Hughes initially. Um, and ultimately, um, Yusebu gave in, and you, you can still do that. You can still find ways to move your guy out. Um, it, it's hard to say. I felt like they got home with like their defensive line and maybe won a lot. And you're still staring at – seven eight people if that's the case and he's going to have a much better view of things and know if he has it or not and also quarterbacks are like pitchers in the bullpen before a game sometimes they know if they have the strike zone and they know if they have it or not and if you don't it, it's going to weigh with you and i don't think that you could watch daggy his footwork his throws early on that game and think he was terribly confident i, I thought he backfooted a couple throws early on 
in anticipation of something or maybe in response to something. Maybe he was expecting pressure and it wasn't quite there. Maybe he got hit a few times and he was anticipating getting hit again. He wanted to get out of there. And maybe it was a combination, but um, it, it's hard to say with what he saw versus what I saw. That's kind of a cop-out, but um, I've seen him play way better than he did today. More authoritative, more accurate. Accuracy's been his strength. Um, just didn't think it was there for him. And, and again, I wonder if maybe he was a little bit worried and then that increased during the game. All right. My final tangent is, is more of a, a, a hot take. One of those good old fashioned hot takes that you're going to slice up and put in your tea, as you told me. Mm-hmm. Um, the offensive line is not fixed, but Letty Brown is a whole heck of a lot better. I think Letty Brown is healthy and is getting 20-plus carries a game. He's going to do this. Ten carries doesn't count. Again, corpses for Eastern Kentucky. But that's a good defense he ran against today and was hitting hard early. Um, I wonder if he fatigued. There was one drive. I think he ran eight out of nine plays. Um, it was maybe early in the third quarter, so perhaps he was still spry. But I, I think he could do that. It's just that he hasn't been healthy, and he has been a guy to give the ball to a lot. I think if you look at his his successful games his first two years, where it was hard for him to see the field because of Petaway and McCoy and, and to some extent Stinkfield. He never got that bulk of carry, so I think that's a possibility. I'm with the offensive line. It's better. I don't think we can argue that. It's healthier. But I don't think that – I don't think the five are certain to be five, and I'm not sure they have eight. So that's a heck of a situation to be in. Yeah, I just felt like he was – he just did an amazing job making guys miss, and when he wasn't making a miss, just breaking yeah. through tackles. Because I felt a lot of times and, – and we'll see this when we get we get the grades and, and the scouting afterwards uh, later this weekend. But I felt like with my eyes, as it happened, not replaying, going back or anything, that – that he was really getting, making that first guy miss. That a lot of times he was facing that first guy, that first defender, at or near the line of scrimmage, but still ended up with five yards. Yep. Let's um, let's end positive, if you will. Okay. Um, I, I look at this and I say it's bad. It, it could be worse. It could be worse um, because Texas came back and won. Mm-hmm. And if Oklahoma and Texas had lost, and West Virginia had a chance to beat Oklahoma State. It changes everything. It just does. Like the the news for a week is different. And you got a team that went to Stillwater and won. Oklahoma couldn't beat Kansas State. Kansas State just lost to a group of five team. Texas can't beat Texas Tech. Texas Tech barely beat an FCS team, right? So you're thinking, hey, you're strutting around the Pushkar Center. Got to win. Beat Chuba. Beat Thailand. Things are good. So that doesn't completely happen when you lose, of course. And also, Texas is still Texas, evidently back. Came all the way back, which is cool. So it could be worse. But they hung. They're there. The, the final touchdown to me is, is almost inconsequential. They were going to lose by 7 to 10 points and end up being 14. I get it. Um, and I see things that are out of their control that we're going to make a bigger deal out of. The botch kickoff return, that doesn't happen very much. The botch field goal by Grayson Malisevich. I cannot think of the last time that West Virginia botched a snap. Um, the snap over the quarterback's head in the last drive. These are things that happen that kind of don't matter. What are you going to do with them? You know, um, three points maybe matters. But again, it's such a rare thing that they botch a field goal snap. But then I think about backup quarterback. They put their best offensive lineman on the right side and not the left side where he's probably better suited. Um, again, a very vanilla offense. Chuba Hubbard couldn't hang on to the ball, didn't look like himself. It's an absolutely winnable game if you don't put as many bullets in your Nikes and it didn't happen. Does it change what you feel about the team? Because I see opportunity squandered. 
but I see something that's promising at least too. And I'm having a hard time weighing it. Part of me wants to say all these mistakes you made count. They don't happen in the back end. The penalties that kill drives or extended drives, the fumbles that are on the ground you can get, um, getting hit in the face with a touchdown pass or, or, or at least while it gets in the one yard line, um, not stepping through a tackle going, you know, one field goal, one field goal and two red zone possessions. Those things matter. Blowing up gaps matter. And they did so many of them that I can't dismiss them all, but I kind of feel like they were close. Not close enough, but close. I don't think it makes me feel worse. I certainly don't feel better. The problem is, Kansas State might be good. Texas Tech looks like a handful if you're going to play him. Um, and I don't know that West Virginia has the offense that can overcome or take advantage of what looks like at best average, average defenses the rest of the way. Yeah, I'm with you. Obviously, in the throes of disappointment after a loss people are going to just kind of lose it a little bit but this is a game that in all of my predictions even with spencer sanders out i I had west virginia losing i thought it would be close it was close despite the 14 point score at the end but uh positively i think the run defense is as good as i could have imagined i thought it was great you know aside again they they ended up averaging five yards per carry but um, it ended up with 200 yards, but a hundred of that was on like two misplays, two missed assignments, mm-hmm. basically. So if, if you can kind of shore that up, I think, how do you take that? Is that, is that something that can be fixed or is this something that that's going to be a mark of this team? Cause so many of these issues that were today were mental errors, unforced errors, things that, that really shouldn't be happening. But then you think twice and it's, Hey, these are a lot of young guys on this team. This is a team that uh, is only in the second game of the season and is coming off an offseason where they didn't get to work nearly as much as they usually get to. So these types of mistakes are going to happen to a young team. So you can't be too upset about it. it. You have to think that maybe, again, my outlook for the rest of the season doesn't change much. The only thing that concerns me is a little bit with the offense not being able to kind of keep up with what's going on. Uh, cause, cause you kind of need that. You need that offense in the big 12 as good as your defense can be. We saw it last year. Uh, the defense looked pretty good, but they just get worn down after a while because these opposing teams will are relentless. And if you can't keep up offensively or at least be competent offensively, it's going to wear down your defense and you're not going to win a lot of games. Yep. Agreed. hundred percent. Uh, Baylor, massive game, massive. Uh, you yeah. can be two and one, you can be one and two. And the difference is if you beat Baylor, Kansas, Texas Tech, Kansas State in a row. Um, you could be 3-0 and there if you play your cards right now. Maybe you feel differently. Uh, Baylor and Kansas are still playing, so we don't know how we feel about those next two games. Texas Tech looks like they're going to score a ton of points this year, um, which could be negated against West Virginia's defense. Kansas State, I have no idea what to think about them, but I know they beat Oklahoma twice in a row now and had no business winning today's game. But those are teams that are supposed to be at the bottom with above below West Virginia. If you beat Baylor, you got a chance. You got a chance, right? And mm-hmm. who knows the confidence you get against Texas. And then you just got a chance. So you got to beat Baylor. And if you lose, sure, you got an off week for Kansas and maybe you spend things, some time on things other than Kansas. Lord knows I would. But it all depends on that game. It's, it's, it's I don't know, maybe, maybe again, it's another measuring stick for Neil Brown, but it's got to be better than it was today. Otherwise, you're going to have a long two weeks looking like, all right, can we separate ourselves not from Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Texas, which was perhaps a possibility today? Think about that. If they win today, 
you're distinguishing yourself from the top of the conference. You lose, and if you don't handle your business against Baylor, how do we sort out West Virginia, Kansas, Texas Tech, and Kansas State? That's how fine of a line it is. There is a smart man, smart man I know, it might be me, who said that Baylor was the most important game of the year. Yes. Before the season started, I picked the two games that this season would hinge on, and I pinpointed that Baylor game for the exact reasons you said. if, If West Virginia wins that Baylor game, they will be favored most likely in the next three contests. And, you know, don't get crazy here, but you could conceivably be talking about a five and one West Virginia team. Mm -hmm. And all that happened today is forgotten. So it, 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 today was terrible. It's especially painful because a lot of this, the wounds were self-inflicted, but I think that there is something to build around here. Yeah. You kind of say they can't possibly repeat all those errors again. And if they do, these podcasts are going to be a lot more fun than they are today. Hey, uh, kudos to you. Uh, you did not make it to ESPN this time. I don't know what they're thinking, but you had the news about Spencer Sanders not starting, putting Shane Ellingworth in. Uh, that's two games in a row. We've had the big news before the game. Um, hey, stick with us. It's a noon game next week, but I think we can probably pull a rabbit out of our hat again. Uh, I Who knows? I might be coaching uh, three- and four-year-old girls soccer at 9 a.m., but uh... – that might not keep us from from getting the good stuff. So, and and, and you know what, Mike, I'm also proud of you hmm. for not pulling the Garrett Green lever. I like that comment on the board. The Garrett Green lever. Is I was proud of people. Emergency? I was proud. I was wondering if they would like let's just run the ball off the quarterback. Let's put zone read in and see what happens just to get a spark or whatever. Let's do a little Pat White Louisville. Let's get this Bedneric slash Dig guy out of there. But no one went there. I was pretty happy to see that. <laughs> oh God. The Daggy Honeymoon continues. This podcast is over, so that is all for this time. Until next time, I am Mike Casazza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.